Hello, hello, and welcome to Confessions of a Toxic Girlfriend. No, no, hold up. You're in the right podcast. This is still Kathy the Panda, but today you will see a different side of me. Now, am I a toxic girlfriend? Yes. Am I proud of it? Also, yes. No, kidding. I'm kidding. Of course not. It's something I struggle with, so healthy relationships don't come easy for me. Ask my ex. No, don't do that. So in this episode, I will be bearing my soul so you'll get a sneak peek into my mind and discover what drives me to be the toxic girlfriend that I am. Why am I sharing this with you? Mm, good point. Well, I just want to share my experiences so that you could maybe learn a thing or two, what to do and what not to do. Things like that. Actually, if I wanted a scapegoat for why I'm toxic, I would honestly point all my fingers and toes to my abandonment issues and my inability to deal with them. But there's just so much more to it. Let's see. Mm, I'll give you a rundown on my toxic traits so that way you'll see for yourself. All right, let's get to it. Here are six things toxic girlfriends do. Well, let's be honest. Here are six things that I do. Number one, demand. Whether it's time or attention or both, apparently I can be very demanding. To the point where my ex kept calling me out, but I never actually changed for good. It's just, I didn't think I was being demanding because I would usually ask nicely for Kathy time. But, you know, I get it. I see it in me. Like, I swear if I didn't get a reply within a minute or a max of five, I'd freak out and start flooding him with messages. Like, I would ask him to come back and love me. And I know, I know, it's so clingy and needy. And looking back when I was rereading my messages to him, it was just so cringy. Man, the things that I would say. Um, and now that I think about it, it's actually really immature. But and and this is not me being all defensive. Um, just remember that my love language is quality time. So of course I'd want all the time and attention that I can get. Also, I have borderline personality traits, remember? And part of the manifestation of abandonment issues is intense fear of temporary absence. So even if David was away for a short period of time, it would give me some sort of anxiety attack. Um, I did learn a bit though. Um, I don't do that too much anymore. I mean, I still do it sometimes, the freaking out part. I mean, I'm only human and I'm a girl. I don't mean to sound sexist, but a lot of girls do that. Um, but I'm also learning to understand that I can't have everything I want whenever I want. And gosh, my inner brat is being a brat hearing myself say that. Um, but that's the truth, you know? We have to accept that we won't always get our way and demanding won't help. Number two is guilt tripping. You know how girls try to be cute and all that by guilt tripping the guy? No? I guess that's just me then. Nah, I'm sure a few of you are guilty of this too. Being what we call in Filipino, matampuhin. It's just, I didn't know that saying quote, you forgot about me, or please don't hate me, or that you don't love me because this, or because that, or, you know, even pouting when a video call is about to end. 
I didn't know that those came across as guilt tripping. I mean, I honestly thought I was being cute and that's apparently not how guys see it. So jokes on me because that is very toxic behavior and it can actually make your partner feel bad, which of course we don't want. Again, though, I was just trying to get more time and attention. So I guess my abandonment issues isn't the only culprit here. It's my love language too, now that I think about it. Three is starting or prolonging arguments or picking fights. Okay, so you cannot deny that many girls can get very emotional. And I am obviously one of those girls. Um, just, I don't know, man. Uh, I find it, I guess I find joy in picking fights sometimes until I get hurt and regret everything. It's sort of my twisted way of being malambing or sweet. But to be fair to me, more often than not, I pick fights when I have a strong point to make that my partner doesn't understand. So technically, not much of a huge offense there. I remember back in college or university, my professor in one of my family life and child development classes, um, she said that it's better to fight than to give each other the silent treatment. And you're probably wondering why. I wondered too. Um, and so she, she continued to explain that because when you argue, you're still somehow communicating with your partner. And as we all know, communication is one of the keys to a healthy relationship. Of course, we shouldn't forget to choose our words wisely because we don't want to fan the flames. You know, when, when there's a heated argument, saying the wrong thing can make everything worse. So we just better watch out for that. Number four is being overly jealous and untrusting. Okay, so here's the thing. Honestly, it's not that I don't trust my partner. It's just that because I'm insecure as a person, I feel threatened easily. Um, whether there's a third party factor or not, like I could be jealous of my partner's friend or I could just be generally scared he'd leave me, in which case was what happened with David. Um, he even called me a selfish lover. He, he said it jokingly, but I know he sort of meant it. No, not sort of. He really meant it. Um, because I would easily get jealous even in hypothetical situations. And yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Toxic. Tell me something I don't know, guys. I'm working on it by working on myself. I just, you know, I figured the more I feel secure as an individual, the more I know I'll be less jealous and intimidated or paranoid. Number five, being overly dependent. Oh my gosh. Okay, so you guys know about David, right? So I became overly dependent on him, and in the process, I literally lost myself. I didn't know who I was without him. And so when I made new friends back then, or when I was trying to at least, um, during the getting to know stage, I couldn't even answer simple questions like what my hobbies were or what kind of movies I enjoyed, because my default answer to those would be tied to what David liked and what David and I did for fun. It's like, without David... Kathy would cease to exist. That is why I swore to myself that I would focus on me this time, build myself up, chase after my dreams, achieve my goals. And when all that is well and good, and I'm actually someone in a sense, um, then I'd be able to carry myself better as a strong, independent woman who won't have to depend on someone else. Last is boundarylessness. Now, you've probably heard of this term before, and in other cases, it's a good thing. 
in a career perspective, this means you believe you are capable of anything. And in an organizational or other relational cases, it means you make yourself available to everyone, which is also good. But it can also be a negative thing, you know, boundarylessness. So in romantic relationships, this means that, well, you know, from the word itself, the having no boundaries. And this is what I am most guilty of um, next to being overly dependent. Um, so I hardly give my partner space to breathe, to have time for himself, time to do what he likes to do, to have a life of his own. And I know it can feel as though I'm suffocating him. And because as I said earlier, you know, about me being overly dependent, I was blinded and I didn't see their need for independence. I thought that, hey, since I need you so much, then you have to need me the same way. But that's not healthy. It's very toxic because then in the process, it's like you're taking your relationship by the throat and choking it to death. So it's important to note that boundaries are healthy, not just in romantic relationships, actually, but in all relationships. As you can see, when it comes to being in a relationship, I am one big baby. Now, I don't want to be the toxic girlfriend forever, lest I want to end up alone. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with ending up alone if that's what you want. But God willing, I would like a husband and children. So what am I doing to improve myself? Well, a lot, actually. Aside from focusing on myself and doing more things that will help me develop as an individual and doing more things that I enjoy, I've also been taking a bunch of personality tests to at least understand myself and why I am the way I am in a relationship. The most recent test I took focused on the theory of attachment. So before we proceed, let's just quickly define what attachment is. So basically, attachment is an emotional bond between two people or between people. Simple. So going back, based on the theory, there are four different attachment styles. The first one is the secure attachment style. Um, so people with this attachment style usually have positive self-image as well as positive views of others. I knew from the get-go this wasn't me. So from the word itself, secure, this means that these people have trusting and long-term relationships. They have stable and, and high self-esteem and are in tune with their emotions, making it easy for them to communicate their feelings with others. So how does one become secure as a person? It goes back to childhood. Growing up, he or she would have had very involved parents or carers. So for example, if a child has a lot of interactive playtime or the child's needs are met almost instantly, then they most likely grow up to be secure. Now, the other three attachment styles fall under the umbrella term insecure. First of the three insecure attachment styles is anxious preoccupied. And guess what? That's me. As I was reading about this attachment style, in my head, I'm like, OMG, that's so me. This is me. That's me. Um, so people with this attachment style have low self-esteem, but have positive views of others. So it's like, see the good in others all the time, but then you criticize yourself a lot. Um, and we often seek approval and constant affirmation and interaction with our loved ones, which may lead to being overly dependent. <clears throat> Sound familiar? As the term says, 
Anxious preoccupied. People with this attachment style are constantly anxious about the status of their relationship. May it be doubting whether their partner loves them or being worthy as a person. They also tend to self-blame, to express their emotions frequently, and to become impulsive in the relationship like threatening to break up without actually meaning it. I'm guilty of that. I've done that a lot of times. And so these people, as a child, you know, an anxious, preoccupied person becomes overly stressed when his or her parents or carers leave. And the thing is, they don't easily feel comfort when they return. Next is dismissive avoidant. A person with this attachment style has high self-esteem and have negative views of others. These people are used to being independent, so they usually do not give high importance to relationships. Um, that said, they don't invest as much emotions or have a bit of trouble with intimacy. They also aren't as open to others about their feelings, and they tend to be defensive all the time. When a dismissive avoidant person feels rejected, he or she withdraws or distances or isolates himself. Growing up, these people may avoid their parents or carers, especially after a certain degree of being absent. They don't necessarily reject attention, but they don't crave it either. This is something they bring into their adulthood. Dismissive avoidant people tend to engage in short-term relationships or casual setups, due to their lack of ability to form strong connections with others. Lastly, which is said to be the rarest attachment style, is fearful avoidant. These people have changing views on themselves and of others. This leads them to feel uncomfortable forming relationships with others, quite similar with the dismissive avoidant, where they also seek less intimacy. However, they do want to have loving relationships, unlike dismissive avoidant people who prefer not to have commitments. Fearful avoidant people find it difficult to open up about emotions, and they tend to suppress or hide their feelings. As a child, these people grew up with parents being the source of both rejection and affirmation. So, you know, it just it leads to confusion about worthiness and fear that someone who loves them today may not feel the same tomorrow. You know. I love personality tests, like I love taking them. I make so many discoveries about myself and others. Taking these tests can be very useful in understanding not only yourself and your partner or the person you're attached to, but it also helps us understand generally why people are the way they are. And aside from taking different personality tests or having someone point out your flaws or giving you constructive criticism, it's also important to take a step back every now and then to assess yourself to be self-aware. Because, you know, being self-aware allows us to stay grounded and gives us the chance to change for the better. Like, we can keep doing the things that benefit us and others, and we can alter our behaviors that hurt ourselves and others. That way, we can have healthier relationships and happier lives. So, there you have it, confessions of a toxic girlfriend and lessons on how to have happier and healthier relationships. Next time, we'll be talking about something a little controversial. So we're going to be talking about self-pleasure and sex in a relationship. Um, and I will be having an interesting guest with me, someone from one of the well-known sex shops in the metro, Ilya. And um, I'm looking forward to it. Um, so come back next week. Uh, until then, 
sending love, life, and hope your way. See ya.